We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. TPS report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Eagles tank. Honey, take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And as always, we're powered by Entercom's ConnectingVets.com, the news and lifestyle website dedicated to the American military veteran. Now, in a word, today's podcast should be inspiring. We'll hear from reporter Kayla Jackson about how the Navy and Coast Guard teamed up for a bust of epic proportions. This country, you got to make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. Yeah, I mean like straight out of Scarface, right? And then we'll meet two veterans who bring new meaning to the words badass rugby players. Don't worry, Ryan. I told you we saved a spot on our bench for you next year. No, that is never, ever going to happen. <laughs> but first, let's jump into some headlines. All right. And here with our headlines, the general's daughter, my fellow reporter, Libby Howe. How are you, ma'am? I'm good. How are you, Phil? Good. Looking nice today, by the way. A dress. I mean, we don't always see you. You know, normally you've got the kind of journalism mode going on. Today you could be ready to go to the ball. What is the occasion? So Senator Tammy Duckworth's office contacted me yesterday with an exciting new bill that she's introducing. And I get to go talk to her on the Hill this afternoon. So, yeah, I couldn't wear hiking boots, jeans, and a flannel like I normally do. <laughs> I'm dressed like a professional. Yeah, you always know when somebody on staff has to meet with somebody in Congress because it's like the one day we kind of starch it up and look nice. But, yep. Uh, very good. Well, you will be well received on Capitol Hill. Thanks. Talk to me about uh, some news and headlines that are interesting to veterans. So we had an interesting one this morning. According to a Taliban official, Taliban official Abdul Salam Hanafi, the United States has promised to withdraw half of its troops from Afghanistan by the end of April. Uh, the U.S. says they have received no such orders. So according to the Taliban, we're on our way out of Afghanistan. Mm. According to the Pentagon, not so much. <laughs> Well, you know what? Before we get accused of misreporting or maybe being more concerned with what the Taliban thinks, I, I think I see why this is being leaked. Why the story's even being allowed to be printed. Why is that? Strategy. The Taliban will tell all the tribes over there, from the Helmand province to, you know, wherever else in Afghanistan, that we are, in fact, leaving. Air quotes. 
we're leaving. So then when the bad guys hear that we are on our way out and we are, quote, leaving, they'll start to move in. You have way more faith. I think that, then, that, that Trump said things to the Taliban or communicated things to the Taliban that he could not back up is my theory. And it's kind of like Trump to jump the gun a little bit and talk about timelines and achievements and goals when the actual project phase is way earlier. So that's just my theory that maybe at one point it was communicated that, yeah, this is when this is what the timeline is when it isn't. Hmm. Well, I mean, let's face it. We're we're both just spitballing here, but uh, I I come from the other side of the political spectrum and I'm going to say that this is all just a ruse. This is, yeah, yeah, we're leaving guys. And then we are going to throw the biggest heavy metal surprise birthday party for those bastards when they pull on in thinking we're gone and bam. So this qualifies as secret squirrel sh- Is that yes, what we're talking about? This is secret squirrel this is, this is blacklist. This is exactly like the TV show. All right. What are some more uh, believable headlines? So there is a nonprofit military gaming organization called Stack Up. It's a play on the concept of a military stack up, and it's built on the idea that gaming is both a way to pass time, but it's also a lifesaver for many in the military community. So from putting consoles and games in the hands of veterans and service members to putting veterans face-to-face with their favorite developers, StackUp has built a grassroots community through local support. So it's Hmm. COD, but with a purpose. Okay. And ultimately what? These military gamers are, I mean, do they get something like out of it as well? Like do they get free gaming systems or do they get... yeah, they do. They, I think they fundraise and they provide free gaming systems and they have conventions and they cool. do those face-to-face meetings and stuff. So I think it's kind of just turning turning a service member playing a video game alone in his apartment to video games as a community and video games as interactive and video games as therapeutic. Right. And I believe in it because I know these esports gaming convention things do draw people together. They get to, in real life, meet people and develop the camaraderie that, let's face it, we all love and loved about being in the service, you know? So if we can help them find a tribe again, help them find, you know, groups to belong to, that, hey, man, that's awesome. And I'm down for any reason to party, whether it's a video game conference or a Comic-Con or whatever the hell the reason is. Gun show, I'm down. Let's go. Great, Phil. (laughs) And I think this could be advantageous for you, too. How so? Well, you know, wearing your lovely dress like that today, I think if you were to, if you were to attend one of these events, you might just find yourself the love of your life, right? This could lead to dating. This is worse than your suggestion that I meet someone at Applebee's. <laughs> like, I, don't, I didn't think we'd get worse than Applebee's, but this is worse than, than Applebee's. <laughs> right. Well, I appreciate the headlines. Appreciate your analysis. Thank you very much. Libby Howe. Thanks, Phil. Applebee's? You never know. I do know. I'm rather I'm rather confident about Applebee's. The single watering hole of the new millennium right there, man. Everybody's no, falling in love. It's not. Now with our next story, our reporter Kayla Jackson. How are you, Kayla? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Phil? Very good. And I have to say, one of the most interesting stories I saw on ConnectingVets.com recently was the one you're going to share with us, and it just... I, it's just so cool, so interesting. It's, you know, the Coast Guard and the Navy kind of tag teaming up to keep us safe from, you know, the dangers at the high seas. And I have the perfect I have the perfect intro for this. Ready? I even brought theme music for your story. Okay? 
I'm ready. Do you recognize it? 1980s television show. I'm mad. It's on the tip of my tongue and I can't get it. The outro got me. I was like, wait a minute. That sounds so familiar. You cannot talk about kilos of cocaine, man, without talking about Miami Vice. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Look at that. Crockett, tubs, pastel colors, mullets. Open jackets with just a t-shirt underneath it. This is everything about my life in the 1980s. I love this. I, I just love everything about me. I, mean, I wish I was anyways. alive to see it. <laughs> One day I'll bring in like prom pictures. I literally have like me going to like a homecoming dance in 10th grade with like just the jacket and the t-shirt and my hair all Don Johnson. Oh, God. <laughs> I was a dude, man. Let me tell you. All right. Well, talk to me about these dudes because apparently this was, a, this was a really significant story just as far as its statistical significance. Right. You know, everyone loves to read. Everyone loves to read about cocaine, you know. Right. And um, the Coast Guard just offloaded over uh, 34,000 pounds of it. That's um, an estimated almost $500 million worth of blow. That's a lot of drugs. That that is crazy amounts of coke, too. Um, Say say it again. How many thousand pounds? 34,780 pounds of cocaine. Wow. God, that is like 15,000, 16,000 kilos. A kilo alone is several hundred thousand dollars. That, <laughs> what what what'd you say it is? 400 and some million? So $466 million. I believe that, yeah. Someone just lost out really big on a deal. Like, uh, really big. Yeah, what's his name <laughs> in prison right now? El Chapo Guzman is like, damn it, man, damn it. That, that, was a, that was my legal defense fund right there. It's a lot of money. How did a it all go down? You say it's both Navy and Coast Guard. I, having been in the Navy, I remember we did you know missions in open waters and international waters. How did they end up both being on the same mission? So this is really a, a combination of, of work between the two teams. Um, And so the drugs specifically were interdicted off the coast of Mexico, Central, South America from 21 separate interdictions. So this is, you know, the hard hit of work, um, the hard hitting work, you know, out in the waters multiple times, 21 separate separate missions. And um, we've got a lot of cocaine as the result. Uh, That was uh, the crew of the Coast Guard Cutter Forward offloaded specifically uh, this much uh, cocaine uh, Tuesday in, in Miami. And uh, the pictures, there is a lot of it. I I personally have never seen it in person, um, but the, the pictures, it's just, I just can't imagine um, the guys and gals who, I mean, got to seize this. I can't even imagine what that would be like, but this is why I like talking about the Coast Guard because they get to seize drugs and it's really cool. I mean, <laughs> the mission itself, I could just see, but that's got to be crazy dangerous. You know, you're like trying to onboard a speedboat or some other sort of like cruise vessel, some sort of like some regular, tiny boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's probably a yacht, right? And then you're trying to get on like a 38-foot sea ray, and you've got two guys on that boat defending hundreds and thousands of pounds of coke, and you know they're armed to the teeth. I mean, that's just, that's just, man, I got to bring in the, got to bring back in the theme music for that. That's just a scene, dude. I can see it. Get down! Get down! Water rushing. Get down, get down, Sergeant! He's got a gun! He's got a gun! <laughs> All right. Um, well, what else did I want to say about this story? 
Oh, okay. So it's that much Coke. It's like five hundred million. Mm-hmm. Okay, almost five hundred million dollars. I have two. Th- I have two suggestions to the Port Authority there in Miami. What they do with it? What? Okay. What to do with Coke? It's enough cocaine that the bricks of it alone were like higher than, you know, they were as tall as a room and as like long as a hallway, right? I mean, we're talking brick after brick after brick of cocaine here. The layout of of this cocaine is quite expansive. Okay. Well, considering it is sold in bricks or it's packaged in bricks, this could be the wall. This could be our border wall right here. an, (laughs) An entire border wall made of cocaine. I don't exactly know how long that would last though like how does cocaine weather like how does it do in like dry, dry wet conditions like do people have to go back and like add more i feel like it's it's a conversation to be had especially since the president also is quoted as saying um a human wall if necessary but this could be an alternative um maybe you should bring that up to him personally and right. see what he says <laughs> I don't want to divulge too much about any sort of personal experience, but I do know it does not fare well when it gets wet. Okay, let's just <laughs> let's just say that much. I heard that from somebody at a nightclub once. Okay? It doesn't rain too much on the West Coast, so it could it could, it could be, be a viable cool. alternative. It could be cool. Okay, second second idea. What'd you say it's worth? Like four hundred and some million dollars. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here's what we do: we sell it back to the cartel. At a premium, if you want your drugs back, man, now it's five hundred million. It's maybe six hundred million. You know they're good for it. You, if the one thing the cartels have, it's cash. They have a lot of cash, so we sell it back to them, and then we can fund the wall that way. I think I might. The, the first option might be safer. I don't want to <laughs> say more legal because I think both of them aren't exactly. You know, under the umbrella of being legal. Right. But right. I don't know if we want to get into the interdealings with drug cartels. <laughs> That's definitely like blood money. I mean, it is. <laughs> not I mean, to say that like other under the table things probably have not happened in just the grand history of like the U.S. government. But I I don't know. But the, but the way things are going, people might start getting desperate. Who I'm knows? T- right? Hey, okay, how about this? The next time the government shuts down, we'll sell the cocaine back and we'll just keep it in a fund. And when they reach stalemate in Congress, rather than having them go without checks, we'll just give them a little... Just <laughs> give, give them a little bit of the cocaine money. Just give a little bit of coke money on the side. You know oh, what I'm gosh. saying? All right. I don't know. But I, I do know this. I appreciate you finding these stories, bringing them to us. And uh, hey, I have more outro music for us. Ready? This is the other theme song I wanted to use for this segment. Connecting Vets was filmed on location. No one was arrested for cocaine possession while making this segment. Kayla Jackson is an official reporter for ConnectingVets.com. Thank you very much, Kayla. Thank you, Phil. What you gonna do when they come for you? When you were eight and you had bad treats, you go to school and learn the golden rule. So why are you acting like a bloody fool? If you get hot, then you must get cool. Bad boys, bad boys. All right. Our next guest literally makes me feel bad about myself because he is way more motivated and in 10 times the shape I am. Uh, You're competing in the Paralyzed Veterans of America Quad Rugby Tournament in Virginia this weekend. Jesse Graham, welcome to the CV Report, my friend. Nice to be here. Let's talk. All right. Air Force veteran. We are 
a para-athlete uh, badass, dare I say, because I've watched some of these videos you've shown me about uh, wheelchair rugby. Uh, but we're going to talk today about adaptive sports, and we're going to talk today about inspiration. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about your life. Tell me a little bit about your story. Well, um, back in 2001, uh, September 11th, my life changed like a lot of other people's. Um, I was actually on my way to high school when I heard it on the radio that the um, tower got hit by the planes, and I went from thinking I was going to go run college track to uh, enlisting in the Air Force um, nice. in the delayed enlistment program. So you weren't even out of 12th grade yet. You were like, I already know deep in my gut that I want to go fight. I, I knew I wanted to serve my country. I, I didn't even know what branch. I, didn't, I had never really considered joining the military up to that point. Um, I actually had taken the ASVAP to get out of a test in high school um, <laughs> and thought, okay, didn't really put anything into it, um, ended up scoring really well, got calls from recruiters, but but uh, had no plans of really joining. And then September 11th happened, and it kind of changed my outlook on everything and realized yeah. I, I kind of wanted to serve my country. Um, I felt like it was kind of a choice that we all should make. and. No, right on. And, you know, you're with the team here that did the same. So, yeah. you know, I commend you on that. And uh, also, you must have had pretty decent ASVAB scores because you got into the Air Force <laughs> and you chose wisely, having been in the Navy myself. Um, our airports moved and the one I was stationed on sucked because it was at sea for like nine months <laughs> or seven months at a time, you know, and you weren't ever on land. Um, Air Force, good living, man. You guys had nice, cushy bases. You guys had good food. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we got treated well. Um, I, I got no problem with with my choice. I, I kind of looked into all the branches, and and I thought, you know, I'm going to get paid the same either way. Um, I kind of wanted one that was going to transition eventually into civilian world. And although I did get tricked by my recruiter, he, he played off like, oh, I, I've heard crew chief's a good job. And then come to find out, he was actually had the same job as me and didn't uh, bother telling me. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't know that it was twelve hour shifts, you know, five days a week, seven right. days a week sometimes. Smelling like fuel all the oh, damn time. Yeah. Covered tell, in grease. <laughs> tell me about what you did. Now you worked on what kind of planes? I worked on F uh, fifteens and F twenty twos. So basically I was a glorified grease monkey. I uh I did the overall maintenance and then coordinated all the maintenance with all the back shops from the aircrafts. Right. Well, I mean, you know, we it's a great job for enlisted. Not that I'm trying to recruit anybody <laughs> here because you're right. I mean, it's the shit they don't tell you that really oh, yeah. is tough. I loved it. But your name was on the side of the plane, right? Or is that just yep. a Navy thing? Uh, no, that's that's Air Force as well. I, uh, okay. Once you earn the position of DCC, dedicated crew chief, or even assistant dedicated crew chief, uh, your name would be on the side of the plane. Did the guy running that aircraft, like, did he really check with you before he got on it? Was there a, that level of, like, palpable respect you could tell that was given to you? Oh, I, well, the pilots definitely had a lot of respect for the crew chief. And and the truth is, is they kind of had to in a way because the crew chief can always ground their jet if they want to at any given time. <laughs> so the pilot kind of had to get pay you a lot or decent amount of respect. <laughs> and their life was kind of in your, your hands because well, you made sure maintenance was done on that damn plane. And yeah, that yeah. as well. And, and what was your pilot's call sign? Uh, well, honestly, we, I was at Langley and we had so many different pilots. So you never, even though you had a pilot's name usually on the side of the jet, it was never that pilot that flew the jet. So there was oh, always, okay. always uh, different pilots flying different jets. You were at Langley? Yeah. Did you see some presidents? Uh, I did. Um, actually, Air Force One in-flight emergency didn't do uh, there, and we actually helped change out the engine on Air Force One one of the times while I was there. 
change out an engine. Yes. <laughs> Wait, I, at the time, I was in uh, crash recovery, and we had a 70-ton crane, and there was no other equipment on Langley to help right. fix it, so we had to use our 70-ton crane to basically lift the engine onto the 747. Wow, that's cool. I just saw some documentary on Air Force One, and it it's really impressive, the crew that travels with that thing, because like when they land somewhere, anywhere in the world, um, they have to do the maintenance on it. And if the part breaks or something, like someone's on the phone saying, get me this widget for this 747. <laughs> I don't care if I'm in Bangladesh. I need it here like yesterday, because that plane can't sit on the ground in any one spot very long. No, and and I mean it, it's amazing how it works. I, just watching it at IFEN, the minute the minute it lands and it parks, there's ten security forces around it, automatically securing the area. Yeah, and and I believe that day was uh, Air Force Three, um, but uh, but yeah, that's cool, man. Now, you, as far as seeing the planes and everything, sure that was part of your job, crew chief. Uh, did you ever run into a president? Did you ever get to meet one? Did you ever like shake the man's hand and say, uh, hey. I've actually going back to, uh, even before the military, I, weird enough, Bill Clinton came through at my little tiny town when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, I got to shake Bill Clinton's hand. Um, I've shaken president Bush's hand and, uh, president Obama's hand over time. Wow. Um, oh, that's cool, man. So Bush, yeah. Obama. Yeah. Okay. Clinton. I might want to wash my hands. I, I was going to say no. I sanitized afterwards. <laughs> That guy gets such a. We're still making jokes about that dude, and it's been like thirty years later. I mean, that's that's funny. All right, talk to me now. Uh, obviously, we're representing uh, you know the paralyzed veterans of America, and you're talking rugby. Tell me about briefly the incident that really changed your life. Well, uh, I was on. Me and my brother took an annual trip every year to go snowboarding. I was at Snowshoe, West Virginia. Mm, Just love it. I uh, just took a trip out there. I actually lived in Missouri at the time, but he was living in Manassas, and he didn't get a lot of time off, so we picked somewhere close to him. And flew out to uh, Virginia, drove out to West Virginia, and second day into the trip, just had a freak accident and ended up sliding headfirst into a staircase, of all things. Uh, kind of hit a 4 by 4 post like a diamond, yeah. top dead center of my head. Luckily, I had a helmet on. Um, compressed my spine, completely destroyed C7, T1 vertebrae, and... Next thing I knew, uh, I knew something wasn't right. Couldn't move my legs. Yeah. Um, I was catching a nice helicopter ride to the West Virginia hospital out there and uh, basically was told by the doctor, uh, you're probably never going to walk again. So, mm. um, And life changes, man. That's, uh, you know, that's a huge sentence right there. Obviously, there's initial reactions. You know, you're a younger guy at the time. We're all kind of processing things when, like, trauma happens. Was there a moment when, like, you just knew you had this drive in you? Because I look at you guys that are these athletes and these para-athletes, and I'm just blown away. Had you always had this kind of grit about you, or was it just something that spoke to you one day that was like, you're bigger than this, bro. This is just one day out of your entire life. Um, truthfully, I had always thought I, I was a runner growing up. Um, before I broke my neck, I was doing triathlons, cycling for the Air Force cycling team. Oh, wow. Uh, just doing all kinds of stuff, uh, playing for the base soccer teams. I, uh, I always thought I'd rather die than lose the use of my legs. And then I broke my neck, and my, my opinion changed real quick. It, it kind of <laughs> – Yeah, man. I, I remember laying there in the hospital after my surgery, and I said, okay, what next? And let's, let's move on. And I kind of never hit the depression. I never – it was let's, let's move forward, and it's just a different challenge in my life. And – kind of treat it like any other competition I've ever had in my life. You know what? And, and, and I'm so glad to hear that, that it wasn't like some sort of white light moment. Oh, 
God, you know, the heavens open up. You will persevere, my son. You know, I mean, I always think it's going to take something like that. I've talked to wounded warriors. I've talked to some war fighters that have, you know, had some debilitating injuries. I'm just so blown away that there's that grit inside you that was just almost instant. Like, okay, what next? How do we deal with this? Because I think in our lives, and I think the thing I try to channel through this podcast even, is that like you're bigger than anything that happens to you. You are a human being with a soul and a spirit and that's something that is so taken for granted by my fat, lazy ass who doesn't do anything close to what you can do uh, every day. I, I kind of, the best way I've said it, and um, there's two things that kind of go along with this, is honestly, I, I realized this was the person I was before I got injured. I just never let the injury change me. And right on. Uh, I'm not sure if you know aware of the comedian Chris Titus, but, but he's got a thing, and, and in one of his stand-ups, Love, Love is Evil, but he talks about, you know, you don't get a rebate. You were with that crazy woman for five years. You don't come to the end of your life and God's like, well, here, here's a voucher. You get five years back. <laughs> and for some reason that popped into my head right after surgery and popped into my head in the idea that, well, I could sit here depressed, but I'm not going to come to the end of my life and God's going to be like, hey, well, you were depressed for those five years. Here's a voucher. Right, you know? right. So, so I, I kind of decided, oh, I better live my life now. And so I just kept living. Oh, that's awesome, bro. We're going to get to what you're doing with your life right now and all the adaptive sports and talk some uh, rugby. But yeah. before we do that, let's bring on another guest. You want to? Oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's call your buddy. Now, I understand you guys are friends, but you actually have to play each other in this weekend's uh, a PVA rugby tournament. We, we've been teammates in the past, but uh, yeah, th this week we are definitely not teammates. And be, be sure to ask him who's won the last couple uh, matchups. <laughs> nice. All right, what's that number? Oh. Hello. Hi, this is uh, the Northern Virginia Mutiny calling. Uh, we are looking for new members for our fan club, and we understand that you're interested in becoming a fan. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> Don't worry, Ryan. I told you we saved a spot on our bench for you next year. <laughs> you know that is never, ever going to happen. Ryan Sergeant Major. The, the only Sergeant Major that's never actually earned Sergeant Major. <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate. Ryan Major, who was a sergeant, damn glad to have you on Connecting Vets. And uh, thanks for thanks for playing along, man. We are eager to talk about the quad rugby tournament getting ready to go on. And I just wanted to, you know, before we get into rugby, before we get into the smack talk, who's going to pound each other into the court this weekend, I want to go over your backstory a little bit and just say a couple things. One, that I'm blown away. I'm honored to be talking to you, buddy. And... Here's what I know, okay? Can I just give you four bullet points, four things I learned about you in the last half hour? And who's your, who's your source? <laughs> who's my source? Well, I'm his source. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it's Jesse. He's my source. Now, um, <laughs> let's talk. Okay, you've completed both the Boston and New York Marathon and the Army 10-Miler. True? Facts. That's crazy. Okay, uh, you've skied, kayaked, whitewater rafted, um, Rugby, I mean, you're easily more athletic than my fat ass. Uh, is that true? Well, I haven't seen it before, so I'm not sure about 
take, take, take my word for yeah. it. I couldn't run around the block, and you can do uh, two marathons and a 10-miler. That's awesome, man. But I just wanted to say that it goes without question that, you know, we are just honored to talk to you today. I understand that the backstory, you know, includes some fighting over there in the sandbox, some fierce fighting, uh, a traumatic day you'll never forget, including the IED explosion that uh, cost you a leg and then subsequent amputation. And uh, we know that... Uh, it's not been easy, and the path back to where you are now is kind of what I enjoy talking about because it's it's just mind-blowing. But I got to say, at one moment, was there something that just opened up in your mind and said that I'm bigger than this injury and I'm going to kick its ass and get back? Or was that like a process to like have an awakening and say, wait a minute, inside here is way more than just what happened to me? You don't have to say the day uh, you met me, Ron. <laughs> um let's see so i was i was hit november 10th 2006 at the young age of 22 and um uh, when i when i when i awoke from from my coma part being from devastated it took me longer than i would have liked to accept what had happened to me and i think once i accepted what had happened to me and realized that i'm 22 23 years old i still have a, a long life to live um, I decided to, to get back to what I, uh, what I love to do. I love to be in shape. Um, I love to be active. I love challenging myself by, by challenging myself. I started to do, um, all these things that some thought I was limited to doing the marathons, swimming, scuba, skydiving, kayaking, whitewater kayaking, guiding, uh, blind veterans down Whitewater Rapids in you, Montana. Oh, were you on that trip? Because I did an article, I want to say last fall, on the guys from Colorado that do that. And that was the video they made or the videos they made about that trip. Have you seen him, Jesse? I haven't seen that. Dude, mind-blowing. Like, literally blind veterans. And they get them so comfortable in the water. And one of them was like, even like, I can kind of feel the river better than some people with sight because he's using all of his, like, other senses. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. these guys, like the, Lonnie. the full barrel rolls. Lonnie was the dude that was okay. in the video. Yes. Lonnie Bedwell. You were on that trip uh, or on one of those trips. That's that's awesome. I guided Lonnie down, like my first time guiding was with Lonnie, and he kayaks better than I do. <laughs> yeah. And, and in fact, wasn't it most recently that they went down the Grand Canyon? They went and they, they ran the whole Colorado through the Grand Canyon? Yes, sir. That's, Super proud of those guys. Oh, dude, that is awesome. And, of course, it comes from – and look at you. I mean, it comes from the spirit that's just undeniable in both you guys. And, in fact, you know, all my warrior brothers, you guys can, like, actually just tell yourself in your mind's eye, this is going to work. I'm going to push myself. This is going to happen. And it's – again, I was telling Jesse, it's one of the reasons I love talking to you guys. It's what I love about this podcast because we can actually tap into some of that. And, you know, it's something that I think most people don't get. Most people I know do not wake up every day and go like, I'm going to seize the day. You know, we're kind of like, this sucks. Uh, I got to get on the train. Traffic sucks. Uh, belch. Let me get another donut. I mean, you know, that, that's literally me for the first half hour. You know, I'm like, if I just hate everyone on the highway around me, I get, I got indigestion. I get to the damn train. I'm in a bad mood. I'm like, it's awesome. And I love channeling that out of you guys. Uh, talk to me about, uh, we'll go with you first, Ryan. What was the first adaptive sport you got a taste of and that really made you realize, hey, the future is mine. Go get it. I think my first one was cycling. It was between cycling and, 
and getting in the pool at Walter Reed for kayaking, being my first adaptive sports. Was there a and, moment there? Was there something about cycling that suddenly triggered something in you and was like, oh, okay, I got this. This is okay. Well, I didn't know what I was going to be able to do uh, coming from like, before my injury. I was completely independent. I played basketball, football. Um, I wrestled in, in high school, ran track, and to losing my legs and being so devastated, I, I thought pretty much my my life was over. I had nothing nothing to live for. Uh, for a time, and then I, I came across other other vets like myself, and they were pushing themselves with um, adaptive sports. So I picked up I picked up cycling and and kayaking, and I fell in love with kayaking once I was on the water. Well, for both you guys, man, I you know the great outdoors is what I think is the biggest savior, and I keep hearing about you know the VA and all the studies on oh medications and this kind of therapy and that kind of therapy. I mean something about that great outdoors therapy that I hear them have success with just speaks volumes to me because I know that like no matter what kind of crap day I've had or what kind of crap went on with my family or losing a loved one or here and there and the other where um, you get outside and it's like. Bam, especially if you can surrender to the water. I mean, oh, yeah. you were just right as rain because it's like suddenly you were just one with it and it's not about where you parked or what you make or what you're wearing. It's about you and the forces of nature. So that's just awesome, guys. I'm so glad you guys are digging that. Yeah. And I mean, rec therapy lasts a lifetime. Oh, that, that includes any adaptive <laughs> sports, all of that. Whereas PT, OT, those things end. But, yeah, yeah. you know, sports, you know, they keep you active for the rest of your life. and now let's talk about some of the activity that you guys are doing this weekend. And uh, this is one where I'm really impressed. Like I can understand like gravitating towards mother nature and go at your own pace. And, but I mean, you guys are beating the shit out of each other on a, on a court playing some rugby. Uh, it's intense, man. How did you get into rugby, Ryan? Uh, one of my, one of my OTs, uh, occupational therapists at, at Trinan actually introduced me to, to rugby. And I, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really appreciate or or like much able body rugby growing up. I was a football guy, so <laughs> right. I, like if I didn't like able body rugby, what the heck am I gonna like about wheelchair rugby? So, yeah. and I decided to I decided to try it out at least one time. That one practice that I went to hooked me so much that I started to play, and it brought me back to um, I love hitting contact sports. Right, and. Right. It allows really- you to kind of get that aggression out. It allows you to get that, that uh, you know, that it, it's that camaraderie. Uh, anybody who's played football in the past or any kind of contact sport, you know, there's there's that respect when you when you do lay a good hit. Even <laughs> even the guy taking the big hit, there's yeah. always that respect there. Exactly. That that, that uh, brotherhood that comes with it. Like you know, dish it out as hard as you can. I'm going to dish it out as hard as I can. And and at the end of the day. We're still friends, and and there's there's that uh, that that almost love and hate that all happens at the same time. That's awesome. Oh yeah, and that's what and I was my- surprised to see is the level of contact, the actual hitting of the chairs, how hard you guys go. We put a photo gallery together last what was it fall? I think when uh, the games were in Orlando. Yeah, the vet games out there. Yeah, and there was like, I, I mean, I led with the picture of rugby because it's like a dude outstretched going for the ball chair. All in the air. I mean, you know he's not coming down, right? I mean, bro's going to land on his shoulder at this point. But to, to get that ball, you're like, holy cow. You guys just you you guys get a run at each other and go for it. And that is just, I love that. 
And that was that's when me and Ryan were teammates was down there in Orlando on the at the venue. Yes, sir. <laughs> Have you guys ever been injured playing this? Because I mean, obviously, I mean, from what it looks like, I mean, you guys flip up and like hit the deck. I mean, you're playing on a basketball court. I mean, even even those big tough football players play on soft little grass. Come on, Tom Brady, you. Gr- <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, do you guys ever like break an arm or anything doing this? Uh, I've I've definitely had my fingers smashed. I've bounced my head off the court a couple times in the past. Um, well, actually, funny story. Uh, Brett Favre was down there at the Orlando games, and yeah. uh, he came out to see us. He refused to hop in a chair after watching it for about. <laughs> <laughs> we watched for about ten fifteen minutes, and we tried to get him to hop in a chair, and uh, he he refused to hop in a chair. That's awesome, Ryan. What injuries have you had on the court? Um. I wouldn't say anything like super serious, like breaking the arm or anything like that. No. I've had my 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 hands pinched um, in between chairs going for the ball. Um, I've had my my head head uh, hit the hit the court a couple times, and made like cuts and bruises. Still love the I game though. I love the game. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Would not let let a few cuts and bruises keep me away from the game. No, oh, absolutely awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. All right, so this weekend uh, we have going on. It's a quad rugby tournament. Score predictions, Ryan. What do you got? That first round, the first time you guys face off. Former teammates now on the opposite side of the line. Uh, I I can't remember what the what the average was of the scores that we that it's been when we played this season, Jesse. Don't don't worry. I know which team comes out on top though. <laughs> and and the <laughs> talking begins. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you did you expect anything less, Ryan? I can't believe you let him give you so much crap, Ryan, because I mean, he's he's from the Air Force. I mean, I, look, I don't know. It's been a I, while since any of us served, but Jesus, hey, that hey, hey, I don't want to, I don't want a low blow. I don't oh. want a low blow him. So, well, and, and Ryan's from the Army, so it takes a good three or four minutes to him think of something to come back. So, uh, even numbers, like four. <laughs> That's cool. Well, hey guys, I appreciate like hell talking to both you guys. It's been a pleasure. I will look forward to following up with you more uh, as we get into the other adaptive sports seasons when it warms up outside. Uh, can I come go kayaking with you guys or something, or can we, you know? Yeah, of course. Oh hell yeah! That's awesome, man. Have great luck at this weekend's tournament. Don't break any fingers, but give them hell. All right. Sounds good. I'll see you on the court, Jesse. Uh, well, you will, but you'll see the backside of me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we look forward to hearing the update from U.S. Army veteran Ryan Major and Air Force veteran Jesse Graham as they do battle at this weekend's Code of Honor Quad Rugby Invitational. It's February 8th through 10th, being held in Springfield, Virginia. It's being hosted by the Paralyzed Veterans of America, and if you want more information on this tournament or adaptive sports and all the resources at the PVA, you can check them out at pva.org. And if you want more podcasts like this one, check them out at ConnectingVets.com or wherever you find podcasts, search for Connecting Vets. I'm Phil Briggs, and in the meantime, I'll be looking for more stories of inspiration and perspiration to bring to you on the next episode of The CV Report.
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 